so one of the things that they teach you in seminary about preaching is uh, learning to kind of gauge your audience and, uh, and know the culture of the people that you're talking to, right? And uh, David, you have some of these classes in school a little bit? Not really. Your school didn't care about that. They just taught you the Bible. So, Well, well my school, that's one of the things we talked about. Um, but they, they left out the part where when you have half of your group from one culture and the other half of your group from another culture on, uh, on what you're supposed to do. So we're just going to shoot in the middle today. And, uh, and so at times some of you will feel like I have no clue what he's talking about. And uh, other times uh, you're like, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, but uh, so in the South, where a lot of these guys come from, uh, a really big thing is high school football, right? Um, high school football is, is a big deal. Um, the, the place where I used to live, um, the, the head coach for the high school team was, was a part of our church. And uh, he uh, was a very gregarious individual, very um, outspoken, uh, fun guy. Uh, Zach played for him, um, so I, I wish Zach were still in here so he could do his Coach Adcock impersonations. But um, uh, Coach Adcock had a way, though, of motivating his players, and uh, he was very good at it. He was known for taking um, a less uh, talented team and doing more with them um, because he was very good at training players and then also at uh, um, encouraging them uh, to uh, accomplish what was before them. Um, and so he was, he was known for his motivational talks um, in the locker room. As a youth pastor, I would get to hear from the kids about uh, what Coach said on Friday night, and it was quite comical sometimes. Uh, especially, especially good uh, after they p- played a really bad first half of the game. Um, he had a, an exceptionally motivating talk um, in the locker room at halftime with them. Uh, and usually there was a different team that came out afterwards, um, after that, uh, that conversation that they had in the locker room. And so uh, today we're going to be looking at a passage uh, where Jesus kind of gets a pep talk. Um, think about that. When we think about Jesus, we don't think about someone that would need a pep talk, right? Um, but that's really kind of what happens in the, in the scriptures today. And so we're in Luke chapter 9, if you have a Bible. Um, and what we do here at Potter's House is we work through uh, passages of Scripture. So we've been working through Luke for a while now, um, and uh, that's where, where we are. Uh, but we're in Luke chapter 9, and I'm actually going to start in verse 27, uh, which was part of our passage for last week. Um, and Jesus has just uh, told him a lot of stuff. And he says this, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death, until they see the kingdom of God. And when I first read that, um, I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Because I, I know about the disciples that he's talking to here, and they, they all died. Um, so what does he mean when he, he says that they won't taste death before they see the kingdom of God? Uh, well, I think Luke knew uh, that we would be asking that question, and that's why he put this passage next. Um, because this is where they get to see the kingdom of God and get to experience it. So, um, in, uh, in verse uh, 28, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took, them, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. So Jesus takes 
these three closest friends with him. Um, and he goes up on this mountain, and he changes. He changes from just his human earthly appearance to taking on his heavenly uh, presentation, his heavenly appearance as who he truly is as the Son of God. And so um, as he's doing that, uh, as that's happening, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, that makes me ask, well, who is this Moses and this Elijah guy? Um, and Moses and Elijah were guys from the Old Testament, which is the, the earlier part of the Bible, um, the time before Jesus came. And uh, Moses was um, one of the first uh, big, big figures in the Bible. Um, he actually was the human author that wrote down the first five books of the Bible. Um, and uh, God did a lot of cool things through him. Uh, he's uh, best known uh, for you know, his greatest hits volume uh, would probably be uh, when he was born, uh, the Egyptian pharaoh uh, was killing um, all of the Jewish babies, um, all the male Jewish babies, um, because he was afraid of them overthrowing him. Um, and so Moses' mom didn't want to kill him. And so she hid him for a while, and then she took him and put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River. And uh, in God's providence, uh, Pharaoh's daughter um, goes out to the river, sees the baby, um, takes Moses, raises him as her own child. And, uh, and so here he is, one of the ones that was supposed to be killed, um, and is now being raised as a prince in, uh, in Pharaoh's house. He grows up, um, and then he is out in the community, and he sees an Egyptian beating a, uh, a Jewish person, and, uh, and he does not like that. And so he fights back, and he ends up killing the Egyptian guy. Um, he knows this is going to get back to Pharaoh, and so he hightails it, gets out of town. Um, he goes and becomes a shepherd out in the middle of the wilderness um, when God comes to him in a burning bush and says, hey, you need to go back to Egypt now, and you need to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So, the, you know, he was scared of Pharaoh's consequences, and so he ran away. And now God's telling him, actually go back and tell him the thing he wants to hear least, um, that uh, you need to let all of your slaves go, um, that you have this great workforce, but I want them to be set free. So Moses reluctantly goes um, and does this. Uh, this is part of his greatest hits volume. Part two, uh, he uh, is the, the instrument that God uses to bring the ten plagues. Um, that uh, plagued the Egyptians until Pharaoh says, yes, get out of here, go. They leave. Um, as they're leaving, they get to the Red Sea. Um, Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's chasing after them. Uh, Moses parts the water in the Red Sea. The entire uh, Jewish nation crosses through the waters um, to the other side. And then uh, Pharaoh uh, tries to chase in after them. Um, once all the Jews are through the water, uh, Moses removes the staff. The waters come back down and crush the Egyptians. Um, and just like that, uh, God took out uh, the, the major military force in the world at that time um, for the sake of his people and setting them free. And then Moses led them into the wilderness uh, where they got what we call the law. And so these are the parts of the Old Testament that tell us about what it means uh, to be made right with God. Like, what, it, what does God require of us? Um, and, and that's kind of the law that we see in the Old Testament. And it's, it's all these rules and, and everything pointing to how good we have to be in order to please God. 
And so Moses was the one that conveyed that to God's people. And ultimately, he was leading them to the promised land, this land that God had promised them for their nation, for their people, um, so that they could be his people in that place and live in the way that he wanted them to live. But Moses disobeyed God along the way, and God's punishment on him was that he was not going to get to set foot in the promised land. So he actually died before going into the promised land. And so Moses never made it to the promised land until now. Until he shows up there with Jesus on this mountain at at the time when Jesus is, what we call it is transfigured. Um, That's a a biblical term, meaning that his appearance was changed and he was changed into his state of glory as opposed to just his human state. And so we see in this passage that finally, after thousands of years of being dead, Moses has made it. He's finally made it into the promised land here in this passage. But who's the other guy? Okay, so we got Moses. Who's this other guy that shows up? Elijah. So what is Elijah best known for? Um, He's probably best known uh, for uh, the time when God's people were not living the way that God wanted them to. And Elijah was a prophet, and he came to him. He said, hey, you guys are worshiping false gods, and you need to stop it. Like, the, the one true God is our God, and we don't need to be worshiping these, prof, these, these Baals and all this stuff, okay? Like, we just need to put all that aside. Um, of course, the people didn't listen. So he said, here's what's going to happen. It's not going to rain until I pray that it will rain. And so, for three years, there was no rain, no dew, no anything. Um, we can kind of identify with that around here right now, right? A little little dry um, lately, a lot of fires going on. Um, But uh, earlier in the year, we had way too much water. So there you go. That's how it works, right? Um, But yeah, so that's what Elijah did. No rain. And then at the end of this time, he comes back and he tells the king who was leading the people in the wrong way, he's like, look, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a showdown, okay? Um, I'm going to go out and I'm going to represent God. And you bring as many people as you want to represent this false god that you've got everybody worshiping, and we're going to see who's the real deal, okay? And so the king's like, sure, whatever. So they come out, they meet on this, this mountain, something about mountains in the Bible, you know, people like going up on mountains. So, um, but, so they're at this mountain, um, the prophets of Baal come, I think there's like 350 of them, and uh, he said, here's what you do, you build an altar over there, and one of the, the properties of this false god was he was the god of fire, Okay, Baal was, the, was considered the god of fire. So he said, here's what we're going to do. You build an altar over there, and you do everything except light it on fire, and, uh, and let Baal light it on fire, and we'll see. If he does it, then we'll know he's a real god. Um, and then I will do the same over here, and if God lights it on fire, then we'll know that he's a real god. And so uh, the prophets of Baal, do, they are carrying on all morning, doing all this stuff, cutting themselves Anything they think they can do to get their God to light this thing on fire, to to no avail, because Baal is not real. He's not a real God. Um, It was a false thing that they were worshiping. And so then Elijah comes along, and, uh, and he says, you know what, I know that my God's real, and I know when I ask him to bring down fire, there's going to be a big fire, um, and everything's pretty dry around here. Uh, so even though I know water is in great commodity right now, what we're going to do is we're going to build a trench around this thing, 
and we're going to pour a ton of water on there. And so in the middle of a drought, he has the people bring all this water that they can find and pour it on top of the altar, um, just soaking it down. And then he prays, and God sends a pillar of fire from the sky and sucks up the whole thing. The altar, um, all of the water, all of it dry. And God says, I am the one true God. Don't worship these other false gods. I am the one true God. So that's probably the story that Elijah is best known for. But there's a couple other stories about him that are really pertinent to where we're, what we're going to look at today. Um, the first happened in that period of time in between where he called down the drought before um, the, the showdown. Uh, and he's living with this woman and, and her child, and uh, God is miraculously providing for them. Um, that's another story. Uh, but what happened was the, the woman's child passes away. Uh, the woman's child dies. And Elijah takes the child and prays, and God returns life to this child. And so Elijah is actually the first person in Scripture who raises someone from the dead. Um, and Elijah, um, God does that through Elijah. Okay, And then, at the end of Elijah's life, Elijah is very unique in this. Um, he's going along. He's got his young protege, Elisha, uh, with him. Um, and uh, Elisha gets to witness that Elijah um, does not die. At the end of his life, um, he was such a holy man that God was so pleased with that God decided um, in his infinite wisdom to instead of taking Elijah's life, he, came, he sent down fiery chariots in a whirlwind and snatched him up and took him to heaven. Just like that. Okay, so now we know who these two guys are that show up here to talk to Jesus. So you got the one guy um, that told us everything about the law and how to be made right with God. You have another guy that was the first one to experience someone being raised from the dead and even basically defeated death himself by the fact that he did not have to die. God came and took him. And so these two guys show up, and what do they tell him? What are they talking about? Can you imagine this conversation? Jesus with these two guys... It doesn't seem like they're there a very long time. So what do you talk about? And what they talked about were this. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So they showed up to talk to him about what he was about to do. They showed up to give him a pep talk. To say, this is, this is what's coming. I'm sure Moses is weighing in and he's saying, well, you remember this part of the law and this part of the law, and we know how people have broken all of it because we're people. Well, Jesus, you're the only one who hasn't broken any of it, and so when you pay the punishment on the cross, you'll be the ultimate sacrifice. Moses gave them the whole Old Testament sacrificial system. It was this very, very complex system of if you do this, then you got to do this. If you do this, you got to offer this sacrifice and that sacrifice. And just in case you miss something, then you got to offer this sacrifice too. And you got to do that. And you got to do this. And Moses is coming to him at this time and saying, you know what? You're about to fulfill all of those sacrifices at once. You're about to take care of all of that for people. Because that's who you are and that's how awesome you are. And then Elijah's over here and he's like, yeah, you're going to die, but you know what? 
you're going to defeat death. I've seen God raise people from the dead. I got to experience just going straight to heaven and not being taken, not, not having my life taken. So can you think of two better people to come and give Jesus a pep talk before what he's about to do on the cross? Because what we know that he does, do, what happens is he is killed. He lays down his life. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. That means that because we sin, because we break the law of God, death is required. But that passage goes on and says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so because Jesus came and died on that cross, paying a punishment that he didn't know, he didn't owe that wage because he had never sinned. But because he paid it, he can forgive us. And we can be made right with God. And we know that that payment was received in full because he was raised from the dead three days later. That even death could not hold him. And he and Moses and Elijah all know that this is what's coming. They know that this is the game plan. They know that this is what's going to happen. And so these guys come and they give him this pep talk. But what can we learn from these guys? Let's, let's take a, a few takeaways from this. One, there's definitely life after death. Moses has been dead at this point for over, probably over 2,000 years. And he shows up. There is life after death. Moses shows us that. Second, Elijah shows us that God is in control over life and death. That God can choose to just take someone and bring them back. God has control over life and death. Number three is the fact that something really big is about to happen if these guys are showing up to talk to Jesus. This should get your attention. That, hey, if guys that one has been dead for 2,000 years and one has been MIA for, for almost as long, um, we might need to find out what's going on here. We might need to pay attention to this story. We might need to find out why they are here. And that's why we look at the gospel. The gospel is a word that means the good news about Jesus, the good news about what Jesus has done for us. Passage goes on in verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. These, these disciples, they sleep through everything. I mean, come on. It's like some of you guys while I'm preaching, I don't know. Um, so now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men uh, who stood with him. As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that, you are, that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. So Peter wakes up, and he's like, wow, this is awesome. All right? Jesus, who I've been hanging out with, now Moses, Elijah, like, you know, when I was a little kid, I had their rookie cards, you know, like they were, they were the biggest deal, you know, like now they're here. This is awesome. Uh, I, can't, I can't handle it. Um, and so he gets so excited and being true to Peter form, uh, he just says, hey, here's what we need to do. We need to set up tents. And now it's, it's thought that Peter was not referring to a big camping trip, okay? He, he wasn't just wanting to, to camp. 
Um, the word he's using here, tents, most likely meant more like a tabernacle. And so probably what he's saying is, hey, let's set up a place of worship here for the three of you. And then all, remember those, those people, we, those 5,000 people we just fed, um, the loaves and the fish? We can go tell all of them that you guys are up here. Um, they can come see who you are, and this is just going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. And so Peter kind of jumps to that conclusion, and that's his response. And a lot of times we can jump to these kind of conclusions too. We can get excited about something that's happening. We can get excited um, even about spiritual things. And we can say, oh, you know what? I know what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. Let's do this. But the problem is, just like Peter, is that's not God's plan. That was not what God intended for that time. God had a much bigger plan in store where we get to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus and Moses and Elijah, not we get to hang out with them in a tent up on a mountainside. And so God had a bigger plan. And right when Peter gets done saying this, verse 34, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And so Peter had his response to the situation, but God said, here's my response. You're wanting to put up three tabernacles, and you know what that means? That means that you're putting Jesus on the same level with Moses and Elijah. But Jesus is not on the same level with Moses and Elijah. He is far, far superior. They bow at his feet. They worship him. God says, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And so, we need to see that Jesus is not to be equated with any person. He is far superior. And our response to that should be that we need to listen to him. As humans, we can pool all of our ignorance very well. Right? We can listen to all the top gurus of today that can tell us this, that, and the other about how to have our best life now or how to do that or how to do this, how to be happy, how to be healthy, how to have the best marriage, whatever. But there's one person who actually got it right every single time, and that was Jesus. He's the creator of life. I think we might should listen to him about how it's to be lived. I don't think there's anyone better that we can listen to than Jesus. Because he's kind of got the whole thing figured out. So our response to him needs to be to listen. God even spoke in the cloud saying, listen to him. 
And listening means we obey. In the passage we covered last week, he talked about the response to who he is is the fact that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So if you understand who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, then the response is to to give him your life, to follow him with your life, to say yes, Lord, in obedience. Whether that's going on a trip halfway across the continent to go and serve him and help out at a, a kid's camp, or whether that's going to work tomorrow and living for him in front of your coworkers. Choosing to be different, choosing to obey him. This has implications for all of your life. Jesus isn't just a Sunday morning thing. Jesus isn't just a, well, when I have a time for it thing. Following Jesus is your whole life. And the great news is, is that he is so worth it. Because as, as shocked and awed as Peter was when he woke up and got to experience Jesus in his glory with these two guys, for those of us who, are, who belong to Christ, those of us who have asked him to be our Lord and Savior, those of us who have repented of our sins and asked him to forgive us, we have that to look forward to for eternity. And by Peter's response... And the little taste that he got of God's kingdom here gives me a pretty good impression that it's going to be pretty amazing. And so I encourage you and invite you that if you've never responded to Jesus, you can do so today. You can simply today ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Our uh, theme verse for the kids' camp this week is uh, John 14, 6. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And that's true. He is the only way. We might think, oh, there's so many different ways you can get made right with God, but you can't. There's one and only way, and that's God's Son, Jesus Christ, who he sent out of his love for us so that we could be made right with God. And I invite you to come to him today. And for those of us who know him, who have been walking with him maybe for a long time, is there something that he's telling us that we need to listen to? Because God said, listen to him. It's not just about getting into heaven, but it's about the rest of your life. So maybe there's something in your life where you know God's been telling me this. I was reading scripture, and I was reading what Jesus said, and I know that that's not how I live. Or I know I need to work on this or on that. What is it? What's the application for you today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that he does make it so that we can be made right with you. Um, Lord, we thank you for the price that he paid on the cross and that you, out of your love for us, were willing to send your one and only son to die. I can't, can't fathom what that was even like, Father. But we thank you that you were willing to do that for us. 
And Lord, we know that following Jesus is a lifelong endeavor. That it's listening to you one step after another. And so, Lord, please continue to keep guiding us. Please continue to direct our steps. God, I pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.